nose and from your mouth and breathing from your gut. Ruark, the spirit, the one that's talked about in the Bible, is about breathing from your gut. This is down here, not up here, and not here. So I want you to do is I want you to take a deep breath in in a minute. Don't do it yet. And then I want you to breathe out through your gut. So it'll be like this. <gasps> Push it out through your gut, okay? I want you to do it. Watch what happens when you do it. So breathe in deep. Breathe out through your gut. <gasps> Feels differently, doesn't it? That's deep breathing. That's the breathing from the spirit. It comes out through that. Kind of made you tingle right here and everything. Kind of made all those kind of things, right? That's the kind of spirit you want. When you're talking about Jesus, don't breathe from your nose and your mouth. Breathe from your gut. Deep breath from your gut. Let's pray. Gracious God, let us breathe you in deep and breathe it in all the way through our bodies. Let's imagine what it was like to be in these moments around this charcoal fire after having fished and meeting our Lord and Savior once again. Just being with Him. Speak into that presence into our lives, no matter what's going on with us. Uh, allow that breath to be deep. And where there are shallow breaths in our life, let them be full of your Spirit and less of us. Pour into these words that I say now, may it be accepting and pleasing to you as we gather in this place. And the people of God said together, Amen. It's hard to remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Thomas. And we talked about living into Easter and about believing in Jesus. That was it, believe. Now, there are more stories of Jesus seeing his disciples after the resurrection. There are several times that we see Jesus having conversations without them recognizing him. They don't recognize him until he does something familiar. For Mary on Easter, it was when Jesus called her name. Remember that far back? For the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke's gospel, it was when Jesus broke the bread. As he had done at the night of the Last Supper. And now for Peter, James, and John comes their moment. But today's is one of the most dramatic of the post-resurrection appearances. Because John 21 captures the powerful rehabilitation and the reconsecration of the calling of Simon Peter, the big fisherman with a broken heart. At the heart of the story is Peter, the bold and the brash, who made wild and wonderful promises, only to fall short in the moment of truth when he acted around that fire as if he did not even know Jesus. And we'd like to be critical of Peter. But in our heart of hearts, we know how often we have done the very same thing to Jesus. We have let him down. Amen? Like Peter, we consistently fall short of our best intentions. 
We have all had glorious dreams, dreams we would sure we were sure that would come true. Peter dreamed he'd be involved with a person who would change the entire world and that he would never fail. Like Peter, we set out with great intentions to do things, only to fall short of our goals, settling for much less than what we first earnestly desired. Perhaps we've all hurt someone, perhaps intentionally, perhaps accidentally, but the pain disappointment is the same, and the years never dull the ache of what it feels like to do that. This is Peter's moment to recognize Jesus because he has forgotten what he looks like after he abandoned him. Sometimes we are so preoccupied with everything in life that we miss the presence of Jesus even when he's standing right in front of us. Amen? But it's too easy to get lost. Too easy to become occupied on ourselves. And so the question we have to ask is, do you miss the presence of Jesus? We say God's not there, or, you know, he's not, not with me. But is that really true? Or are we just so preoccupied we just can't even see in the, in the small and large ways that Jesus is present? It becomes a hard question. Maybe it's because he doesn't look the way we think he should, or he would, or he hasn't come the way we think he should. If he doesn't come and solve all my problems, so that means he's not with me. You know, the, the story of the, of the whole piece of the person on top of the roof who's stranded and asking God to come save him, right? Sends multiple things to come and save him. Goes to heaven and says, why didn't you save me? He said, I did, I tried, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. And God was in the boat, God was in the helicopter, God was in the people. Maybe we don't recognize Jesus because Jesus knows how to make himself familiar to the disciples so much and to us that we, he becomes so familiar we forget how important he really is. It's like singing that song, I am a friend. We, can't, we don't really sing that because we don't really, ah, Jesus is my friend? I don't know how I feel about that. He's my God, he's my Lord and Savior, but I don't know I can bring him to the level that he's my friend. He's, he's above all of that. Those are hard words for us. It isn't the same for everyone how he comes, but he knows us so well that it can be custom made. And for Peter, James, and John, it started with fish, and now it's about to begin again with fish. And so if you're following along on the screen or in your app and looking at the event that we have in you version, we're looking at John 21. And our gospel lesson begins with a scene of weary fishermen ending an unsuccessful night. The disciples have all gone back to what they know. At least Peter, James, and John and the rest are tagged along. All they know how to do is fish. So he's gone. They go back to fishing. We pick up a verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. 
and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, so Thomas gets to be there, Nathaniel Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of his disciples that are unnamed. So it's not all of them. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Apparently he's just frustrated. They said to him, we'll all go with you. What else have we got to do now? And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, which must have made Peter feel even worse than he'd already felt in the first place. I can't even fish now. There is nothing left. Suddenly a stranger appears and gives them some unrequested advice on how they ought to fish. What he says does not make sense, but they do it anyway, and suddenly their nets are full. After daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? It seems kind of like a little dig, doesn't it? They answered him, no. Probably the other answers they could have said. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The first half of the story is a miraculous catch of fish. Where else do we see that in the Bible? It's in Luke 5, 1 through 11, when Peter's called in the first place in the miraculous catch of fish. It echoes that initial call that was part of the call of the disciples. In both stories, we see the disciples have fished all night and caught nothing. We see Jesus telling the disciples at dawn to cast their net. This is not coincidence. And as experienced fishermen, they still knew that fish are most easily caught in the dark of the night, not in the hustle and the heat of the beginning of the day. Yet the disciples listen to Jesus. Why? And they catch an abundance of fish. So in this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, he's giving the disciples an updated call. Just like how it all began. But it's different. And he's inviting the disciples to follow him again. Verse 7, The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. You notice how the disciple whom Jesus loved always seems to know it's the Lord before anybody else? When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes. What? For he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. So if a net full of fish is not reason enough to assure the Lord is with them, hopefully they're thinking back to the fact this is how it all started, but maybe not. Jesus invites them to the shore. He prepares a communion, a kind of communion with bread and fish. This is an intimate moment that he gathers them together, all cooked over a charcoal fire. When they'd gone ashore, he saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not even torn. 
So the question always is, why 153? You can type it in sometime. You can look in your app and see some of the answers of things, but no one knows for sure. Large catch. Particular number indicating a eyewitness account. The story in Jerome said that there are actually 153 species of fish in the sea, so it includes all of them. And there are about 10 million other things that are out there, including how those numbers add up in numerology and all of that. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now think about this. This is Jesus preparing breakfast over a charcoal fire, just sitting there and inviting the disciples to come eat. How much more down to earth does it get than having breakfast over a charcoal fire? I mean, just think about it. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Where else are bread and fish given out to people? Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, right? Miraculous. All these symbols of all the things they've shared together. It's like watching a movie and they have what they call Easter eggs, right? All these little things in there that if you catch them, then they all mean something to the person who understands. I think it's an amazing moment how Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, who has died on the cross and resurrected in all this new life, how the Son of God cares for them and cooks for them and eats with them in this moment. And then just spend some time just being with them. Not time for the ascension yet. He's not leaving yet or anything. He's just sitting on a beach having fish and bread with some of his friends. I mean, why does, why does he do this? He must have thought it was important, right? To just spend time with them, to shore them up, not to, to, to keep them going, to let them know he cares about them, that he hasn't just left, even though he's appeared to them already. And ask the question, how often do you take the time to be just in Jesus' presence? I don't mean being at church. I don't mean being in Bible study. I don't mean, I mean just being in Jesus' presence. Not serving other people, but just being in Jesus' presence. Not asking, even working for, but fellowshipping. How many times did we ever really stop and just be? We think somehow that being is not doing something. And we are a doing people. And if we're not achieving or accomplishing something, then there's something wrong. And Jesus is just asking for them to be. Maybe it's gathered around the fire, eating and just hanging out with Jesus and each other that we find our greatest gift of God's presence. How many times perhaps you've been around a fire at some cookout or you know, all these fire pits now that are all the rage you know, over the last several years of gathering around that. Why is that? What is it about gathering around a fire 
that somehow brings people together and joins them together. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now that Jesus is risen, the call is different. The disciples have a better sense of the ministry and what it means to follow and to serve Jesus without Jesus being physically present with them because he's not going to be there. They have to learn how to be able to follow without seeing him physically anymore. Instead of being taught by Jesus now, he's not teaching them anymore. They are now called to teach and to live out what they have been taught. There's no more lessons. It's now time for them to become the teachers. This is a new phase of their call in ministry, and this is why that he does this in this way. Peter, James, and John especially need this. But the critical moment is not breakfast on the beach with Jesus. That's a charming scene. It's awesome and it's great. And wow, can you just imagine sitting with Jesus around a fire? How neat that would be just to sit there. But rather it's these moments of dialogue between Jesus and Peter that come next. We have no idea whether it's Jesus and Peter or whether it's Jesus and Peter and James and John or if it's all around the fireplace, it doesn't say they went off somewhere else and talked. Maybe he asked these questions to him, but everybody else is hearing too. This makes it a little bit harder probably on Peter. But this is Peter's moment of three confessions of love and three commands. And they go together. I mean, imagine the fear and humiliation Peter must have experienced when suddenly he was suddenly in the presence of the Lord that he denied at the trial in front of that other charcoal fire that was in the high priest's courtyard where he was warming himself as Jesus was being tried. That is the only time in the Gospels where charcoal fire is used at the high priest's courtyard and here. And there is a reason for that. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, doesn't call him Peter, he noticed, do you love me more than these? He, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So Jesus asks Peter, Do you love me? And three times Peter responds, Lord, you know that I do. Assuming you can overlook that little breach of loyalty when your life was on the line and I completely denied you, of course I love you. 
That's the little asterisk down there, Lester, that just right there along the bottom of that. And Peter is hurt that Jesus would ask him three times after what he had done. It's almost like he thinks Peter is not telling the truth. And Peter responds that Jesus knows everything. And because of that, he knows that Peter loves him. Of course Jesus knows that. This is not a conversation for Jesus. This is a conversation for Peter. This is Peter's moment of redemption. This is what Peter needs to hear, not what Jesus needs to say. It is Peter that needs to be reminded that he loves Jesus. I mean, obviously Jesus meant, do you love me more than boats and nets and fish and food and family and friends? Because at Peter's lowest moment, he had shown that he loved his life and his skin more than anything else. There's no denying that. In his denial, Peter was saying he did not want to die. Who does? He loved the things of this world more than he wanted to follow Jesus to what was clearly his unexpected death as he denied him not once, not twice, but three times before the day broke. The early Christians loved this story because they saw themselves in this exchange. So should we. It's about us in the same way as it was about them. For no matter how intensely we may feel we love the Lord, we are always subject to those moments of weakness and failure. Amen? We say, I love you, Lord, with our lips and our hearts and our actions deny that we actually do from time to time. We know Peter's story because it's our own. You see, the story of Peter could have ended in that courtyard were it not for Jesus' determination to bring about the resurrection of Peter. You see, this fire is the resurrection of Peter because he's still in the grave. He's still stuck. He can't get past his own failure and letting Jesus down. That's why he went back to fishing. That's all he planned to ever do again was go fish. He can't even do that right. Why even bother to try? This is the resurrection of Peter. And it tells us how important it is that we remember the love of God is greater than our ability to deserve it or to live up to it. Amen? The love of God is greater than our ability to live up to it or deserve it. Because we don't. We don't. We think sometimes that we do, that we've earned it. I've been a good person. I've earned God's love. I've done the right thing this time. But it's a challenge we all have to face, just like Peter. What's important for us? So the question really becomes, do you love Jesus or do you like Jesus? As we've said years before, are you a fan or a follower? They are two different things. A lot of us like Jesus. But do we really love him? 
That's the question that Jesus is asking to Peter. He actually uses different terms for love each time that he says it. He keeps upping the game every time in the Greek. Do you like Jesus or do we love him? And here in Peter's moment, Jesus gives him a chance for each denial he made to now be matched with the opportunity to confess his love three times. That's why he asked him the three questions. To continue to erase what he did before the sun came up. And I wonder if Peter grew in his confidence after this conversation with Jesus. Did he grow in his confidence? Understanding of his love? I mean, Jesus responds to Peter with three similar commands. Feed my lamb, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Which moves from the fish to shepherding imagery. Our gospel lesson also reminds us that Jesus calls us to care for all those that he loves. He's telling Peter, then, if you love me, here's the mission. To love all those under my care as the shepherd. We're to care for those who are around us, particularly those who are in need. We're to minister to both the physically hungry and the spiritually hungry. Amen? And within our circle of family and friends, we are to sustain and encourage each other. We're to be positive influences on each other's lives, not negative ones. If we tear others down, that is not of God, that is not of Jesus. He builds up. He lifts up. He resurrects. He doesn't destroy. And we're called to do that, always in the name of Jesus Christ, he's saying to Peter. And on this day when we celebrate all women in our lives, and whether if we are parents or grandparents, biologically or spiritually, we are to fulfill our duty not just to the physical care of children in our trust. And we mentioned last Sunday, every child in this church is our, ch- our, our children. Everyone. Whether you have children or not whether yours are grown or not. But we're also in charge of, for every child in this church, as spiritual parents, we are in charge of spiritual growth and development as much as we are in charge of their physical needs. That means we will care as much for our children's souls and faith development as we care for nutrition and physical welfare. And that goes for all of us as adults as well. We are in charge of one another. We are to encourage one another to grow further in Christ. To help each lamb be fed. Each sheep to be tended. You see, love is an action verb. It's not enough to say to the other people that they know they are loved. Well, you know I love you. You know that they are loved. Love must be followed with action. The three words that Jesus uses are action verbs, are they not? Feed, tend, feed. They are action verbs, not past tense. They are present tense. So what portion of Jesus' flock do you concentrate on? 
In what ways do you tend and feed Jesus' flock because you love him? He's asking Peter and asking us, how are you a part of feeding the flock? And that skips ahead just a bit because that one verse, it takes a whole time to unpack that part. He said to this to indicate the kind of death of which he would glorify God. As Peter, when he dies, he's going to be led to places he doesn't want to go by a belt being pulled by someone else. It's a metaphor. But after this, he said to him, I'm assuming to Peter, he said, follow me. The whole thing closes with follow me, which is exactly how it all started in the first place. Disciples have been already following Christ for three years. Now they had seen him after his resurrection three times. And Peter has proven his love three times. And Jesus laid in the grave for how many days? Three days. Don't miss all the symbolism that goes along with three all the way through this connection. Yet Jesus commands again, like it's just beginning over, follow me. So, but unlike his time on earth, during his time on earth, they do not get to follow Jesus in a literal way. He'll no longer be the person they can just look towards to be able to figure it all out. They don't get to touch him or hear him anymore in the same way after these appearances. This is a new way of following Jesus. And it's the way we follow Jesus. We don't get to see Jesus in that physical way that they did. We like to imagine it and think about it. But we don't get to see that. We follow Jesus just this way. We follow his teachings and are empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry on his work, even though he's no longer physically on earth. That's the general invitation that the discipleship Jesus makes to us and follow, be members of his flock. And so the question becomes, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it's really pretty simple. It means to live like Jesus To live like him and to live out his ways in our life. To live for Jesus, to follow Jesus. To love our neighbors. To love God. Can't do one without the other. To follow all the things that he says to us. We're continually being called by Jesus. And so the question is where have you been called to go? It's not a one time calling. He's constantly calling us to go somewhere in our lives, to go somewhere he's calling us to do and to be. Where is that? Where is God inviting you to go so that you might more closely follow him, to hear his voice better? What has to change in your life? What needs to be pushed out? Because once again, all that noise, that preoccupation, It gets in the way of everything else that Jesus is trying to teach us and tell us. Maybe it is just being alone. How much alone time do you really have? And I don't mean before you fall asleep kind of stuff, but how much time do you really carve out to be alone with God? Is it more study? You don't know enough to be able to really have that conversation you want to have and and looking at it. Is it studying and growing? Is it being in a small group of people where you can really dig down deeper 
There are all kinds of groups out there. Some groups are, are much more about just kind of chatting the breeze or discussing politics or whatever it is, the latest movie went to go see. Those are groups are fine. Those are groups are of coming together and just being celebrating. But there are other kinds of groups, too, where you, you go deeper, where you really challenge one another and you're able to really speak deeper and deeper and the fact is that you're not in the place you're supposed to be and you want to go somewhere different. Those are accountability groups. They are in three and fours, like Peter, James, John, and Jesus. They are tens and twelves, not necessarily as accountable in that way, but they are different groups like that too. And both those groups are important. Without those groups, we will not go any deeper because we will not go deeper on our own. Amen? And there is no forcing that. But that's how you get closer, gathered around the charcoal fire with three or four people. Seven in this case. He's only talking to one. And there's only three that really are, four that are mentioned, five that are mentioned a lot. Maybe it's showing compassion to difficult people in your life. Maybe it's finding forgiveness for someone. Maybe it is reaching out in ways you never thought you would reach out before and do things you never thought that you would do. That's following him. That's what Jesus gave to Peter. This was Peter's moment. This was Peter's time to be able to recommit himself to knowing Jesus loved him and that he loved Jesus and saying it out loud. Sometimes saying something out loud has the most power in the world. And for Peter it did. He was able to have that power. And once again it came around a meal. In that case, it was bread and fish. But the bread was always present. The living bread that Jesus provided that would nourish souls. And Peter, once again, knew that presence in those moments. This is the body of Christ that's broken for us, given for us in love. The blood of Christ that's shed and then resurrected. New life given to each one of us that He poured out and spilt for us. And once again, the disciples were reminded of what they had started three years before. They remembered what He came to do and how He empowered them to go and do it. And this is the last time that he would appear to them. Because I guess they got it. He knew they were ready. Peter, James, and John started out fishing. Peter, James, and John will continue to fish with all the disciples. Let those coming forward to serve this morning come as we pray. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders of all that you've given to us whether gathered around the charcoal fire in the upper room or along the road to Emmaus, Lord, your presence is felt through them. May that presence come into us. and May it guide us and strengthen us. May we find forgiveness and hope through the power of your presence. 
Pour your Holy Spirit on these gifts now. Make them be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the people of God said together, Amen. the table this morning. All are welcome to come. As you come and receive, then I invite you to kneel at these rails and to really ask yourself, do I love Jesus? And if I do, what is he calling me to do? Where is he calling me to go? Let us now come forward and receive this blessing.
gather around the charcoal fire with Jesus, whatever that is. When he calls our name, when he asks us, do you love me, Jeremy? Do you love me, Sandy? Do you love me, Ruth? And when you answer, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Go forth from that place, whatever has held you and bound you. Let it be free. Let it be freed so that these next words he says to you when he says, follow me, that we may actually go out and follow him and live his life in ours. Amen.